0: Hello, and welcome to this episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Dave, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Luca Bianchi, who is the Chief Technology Officer at NeoSperience and Whiskey. He's also an AWS hero for machine learning. Thank you for coming on the podcast today.
1: Thank you, Dave, for having me. Thank you all for listening.
0: So we had a quick chat uh, about breaking into machine learning and artificial intelligence and serverless and everything you've done. Uh, And I think it'll make a really great episode to kind of explain what what does machine learning even look like on AWS? So why don't we start... A little bit uh, with your background, how did you get into this space?
1: Yeah, uh, I get into that space uh, uh, during my PhD, which was almost 20 years ago. Uh, I had a PhD in computer vision and artificial intelligence uh, when artificial intelligence was not so cool, right? It is nowadays. And uh, uh, I studied at the University of Pavia. Then I joined the PhD and during my PhD, I started working on computer vision. Then I moved to work as a software architect and uh, a developer and after a few years when machine learning became cool again uh, I started joining these two passions together and uh, acting as a devops or developer and or machine learning and the things are getting blurred every day and so I'm shifting from devops to machine learning.
0: Yeah, what was your PhD, you said it was focused on computer vision, but what was your your thesis?
1: Yeah, Uh, I worked on uh, uh, video surveillance and uh, uh, 3D object reconstruction for, say, TV shows. Uh, So our idea, and it is quite nice today, but our idea at the time was to be able to reconstruct uh, uh, 3D human shapes from a stereo camera, uh, and be able to uh, remove the background and to overimpose objects uh, uh, within a 3D world, a 3D reconstructed world. It is something that, which is now is quite, uh, it's quite naive because you can uh, achieve the same results today uh, basically using a standard camera. You don't need a stereo camera anymore, but it was yeah. 2006 and it was pretty cool and we worked uh, almost three years on that project.
0: Nice. I've seen mobile apps, uh, like I've seen YouTube videos, people will do this, like they'll go to Stonehenge or the pyramids or something like that. And you can walk around, I forget the name of it. I'm not doing it justice, but it's an app on your phone where it creates a 3D model of what you're actually seeing. And then like when you get home, you're, you can actually go and look at that entire model and spin around, but it's like what you recorded on your trip and you were already thinking about that uh, uh, 20 years ago. So
1: Yeah, exactly. What? And 20 years ago, the main problem was to be able to manage occlusions. Uh, because if you have to move behind some kind of 3D objects, you need uh, to, to handle correctly uh, which object is in front of the other. And it right. was very difficult. And it, this was the reason why we used stereo camera. Right now, we can do that more efficiently using neural network and depth estimation uh, using just your mobile phone camera.
0: Yeah, and I'm super curious. Like as someone, you know, tangentially in machine learning was my exposure with Alexa and everything. What was the transition? Because you said there was kind of like an area where it got a little stagnant in machine learning before now, right? You said... uh, forget how you said it, but it was like this, rent of, it wasn't as cool as it is today, like where it got hip again. What changed? Was it mobile? Was it just the ability to actually just in compute power or very large data sets? Did What really shifted that enabled us to kind of push forward in this space?
1: Basically, we were lucky enough uh, uh, to live in times where we had uh, the nexus, we have the conjunction of three elements that became available. The first one, it was a huge amount of data being able to be used to train models. Uh, we uh, often underestimate that, but thanks to the internet, uh, actually we can uh, easily uh, get in touch, recover a lot of data, huge amount of data from the net, from digital repositories, or many of them are stored in the cloud, uh, and they cost just pennies. Uh, this, this is the reason why a lot of data can be uh, stacked over and over again. So with the first, the, the number one, the first pillar is being able to have a huge amount of data to train your model, but it is not enough. The second one, the second thing is to be able to have uh, computing power starting from 2002-2003, and we jump back to the timings of my uh, PhD, uh, where we started using NVIDIA CUDA. CUDA Technologies was, uh, was just published uh, between 2006 and 2008, and uh, it was jumping on a very cool idea, uh, which was basically an hack on uh, standard GPUs, and the idea was to be able to use uh, GPUs for general-purpose computation. And from that, uh, we were able to use GPUs to achieve massive and astonishing amount of power to be able to train our models. And the third pillar, which is something more machine learning specific, is that uh, we were able to address a very uh, very big problem in the machine learning domain, which is the problem related to backpropagation. I, I'm, I'm not here to uh, go uh, too deep into the technicalities of that, but just to give you a glimpse. Uh, when you train a, a neural network, uh, then after you have thrown your data into the network, you, have, you need to estimate the error, because estimating the error is, this, it is the thing that makes you able uh, to uh, adjust the weight of the network and to make to improve the quality of the result the accuracy of the result but the problem was that back propagating so bringing the terror and pushing the terror back to the network uh, resulted in some uh, bad mathematical issues uh and then we had uh the, we actually have the uh, machine learning the mathematical methods to solve or to mitigate the impact of this stuff this made uh neural networks able to be used in real uh life uh, problem and that joined with uh, uh, huge data and computing power is the reason why there is so much interest and uh, so uh, what the, the so-called Cambrian explosion in the number of uh, machine learning projects that are being used and uh, a lot of stuff is using uh, deep learning and machine learning, even if you don't know that. I drove my Tesla today to come to this office, and uh, I was thinking about the fact that uh, that simple car, not so simple, but that car, uh, has a huge number of the AI models that are used to keep the car on track, to adjust the temperature within uh, the cockpit, and to be able to uh, recognize dangers on the roads and so on and so on.
0: I love it. I love, I like how you use those three pillars to, uh, it just makes perfect sense to me from an AWS perspective, I'm, I'm thinking in terms of compute and storage, and you talked about big data and, you know, data science and everything behind that. So when we think about machine learning on AWS. Like, do I need to be a a data science to use this? What are do we have managed services on AWS? How do you how do you uh, approach this? Uh, You know, how does DevOps fit into this? How would you explain? Yeah, of course.
1: course, Yeah, no, you don't have to have um, to be a machine learning data scientist in order to start using AI. Uh, this is one of the uh, most misunderstood topics, because uh, it is refraining a lot of people, a lot of great developers, to join, to jump on machine learning. Uh, and it is, okay, I have to throw away all the things that I've learned in the, ne- in the last decade, and then start again with Python, Jupyter Notebook, and things like that. That's completely not true uh luckily uh we now we have managed services so we can start putting we can start using machine learning stuff machine learning topics uh, into our projects without know, even knowing uh, that we have a neural network uh, working in the background. Uh, and that's super great because it allows a lot of people that uh, don't have the time, on, that didn't uh, switch to uh, the career to become a data scientist to be able to apply machine learning. So my definition, my best definition is applied machine learning, and you can apply machine learning without knowing uh, why it works, just knowing that you have a service you have a service such as amazon recognition which is able to classify images which is also able to uh, recognize objects uh, within the image an image and you can use that uh, for your video surveillance project without any need to train a model on your own uh, or uh, otherwise you can use amazon comprehend to classify text So say you are managing a blog and you need to uh, identify uh, people complaining or toxic comments in that blog, and you can use Comprehend, you can just grab your text and send your text to the Comprehend API and receive that text labeled uh, with uh, uh, the topics uh, contained, discussing that text. This is super great. Uh, it is not the solution to every problem. Uh, sometimes if you go deep in the, uh, if you dive deep into the white rabbit hole, you will be facing the need to uh, train a model, but you can definitely get started without knowing anything about that. And recently, in the last few years, many of these services have been able to be retrained and customized with specific data. It is, uh, it is something... Really cool because it allows you to adapt the model to your data without the need to be able to train or rewrite the model on your own. So you can adapt adapt machine learning at your pace. Uh, You can start using APIs and then scale up and up towards uh, Notebook, Jupyter, Python, and whatsoever.
0: Right. And what about if I'm a data scientist and then I'm coming into (laughs) this perspective of like, Like, do I have to become a DevOps person or can I live in that data scientist world?
1: Yeah, data scientist jobs, in my opinion, is changing quickly because uh, uh, until a few years ago, a data scientist was just uh, like, say, like a wizard pulling spells out from uh, uh, a book. So uh, you went to the, ma- the, the data analyst or the science people, and you asked them, hey, folks, I need to uh, classify objects. And they pulled uh, their magical spell out from their book and gave you uh, the model. Uh, I think that it is uh, completely wrong because a uh, machine learning or data scientist expert is not a wizard anymore. Uh, is someone that uh, uh, needs to uh, take into account the fact that their model, their work, needs to be brought down to production so they can experiment, but they need uh, to uh, understand that uh, sometimes things need to be engineered so I prefer, rather than data scientist specialist or machine learning expert, I prefer the term machine learning engineer because it brings you to the right mindset. Just to be clear, you don't need to become a DevOps if you are not a DevOps guy. You just, uh, you just can stick with your uh, secret sauce. You, you are a scientist. You can stay on that side. That's perfectly fine, but you need to understand that you need some tools that makes you able to bring your work into production. And luckily to us, we had a lot. We had a lot of them uh, being released uh, just few years ago, uh, starting from SageMaker notebooks, then to Amazon SageMaker uh, platform itself and SageMaker pipelines. And it is uh, uh, something uh, that can allow data scientist to do something close to the DevOps uh, folks job without the need to understand completely what happens under the hood. And it is great for this reason.
0: So what about if the date like really really large data sets you're creating these models how do i handle that with aws
1: yeah that's that's a g- uh, cool problem because uh actually uh, all or pretty most all of the machine learning problem uh, tends to be uh, big data problems just let me give you an example a couple of months ago i decided to uh, build a predictive model just just for fun, to build a predictive model on environmental data, on air quality data. So I went to uh, Italian uh, Italian Open Data Storage, then I downloaded the data and I started processing the data. But sooner I discovered that uh, the amount of data that is collected daily is really huge. This means that uh, uh, using the same uh, uh, machine learning tools, such as just plain Jupyter Notebook on my machine, was not enough. Uh, And this is the reason why I switched to AWS Glue, and uh, uh, then I used also SageMaker Data Wrangler, which are two great tools that can be adopted to uh, have a quite uh, notebook-like interface, uh, for year job, and then be able to parallelize the compute the computation of your job uh, to many different cores. So with Glue, I have been able to write uh, Jupyter notebook uh, that uh, Jupyter notebooks that run on massive parallel computing power in order to extract data to pull data from data sources. Because something that's uh, often it is not it is underestimated by data science people is that uh, you don't have no one is going to give you your data on a practical disk. You have to pull that data out from databases, out from uh, S3, out from uh, cloud storage, elsewhere. And then you have to mix and match this data and to clean this data uh, before you even start writing uh, one single line of uh, training code. Then uh, you can do that with AWS Glue. You can do that with Data Wrangler. Data Wrangler is super powerful because uh, offers the same capabilities of uh, Pandas framework which is a de facto standard uh, to manage uh, uh, data sets. Uh, it offers the same, the fa- the same interface uh, and can run on massive computing power. It can run off uh, hundreds of thousands, uh, even tens of millions of data points in order to Clean your dataset and prepare your dataset for uh, the next part. Uh, I, I can give you a ratio which is often used by uh, machine learning folks. Uh, consider that in every machine learning project, in real life machine learning projects, 70 uh, percent of the time is spent on feature engineering and data cleaning, and 30 percent of the time is spent on model training. In my experience, that is not true. Uh, you spend more than 80 to 50 to 90% of your time cleaning and preparing your data. And then you need to choose the right model and to train uh, your right model. But it is just uh, 10 to 15 to 20% of the time that you spend in a real life problem. So having these tools uh, available and being able to uh, implement a nice workflow on them is uh, uh, something which is pretty mandatory if you want to uh, implement something in real life.
0: You just made me remember um, years ago, before I was doing advocacy, I worked for a large pharmaceutical company and I was writing.net code at the time and my eyes were opened. I I went over to Belgium where a lot of the researchers were looking at DNA sequences for pancreatic cancer and meeting them. (laughs) They spent 90% of their time in Excel and they were like writing (laughs) programs and and it's that data set, right? Is these large data sets, like how do you do things? And I was trying to help them be able to, to do more on their laptop versus going through the whole sequence. Like how do you, can Can I run Sagemaker on my laptop and do local model training? like how do you port the environment uh, you know across different areas like how do you how does that work?
1: First of all, please stop using Excel to analyze your data. <laughs> please don't do that. <laughs> uh, it is nice when you have uh, hundreds of records, even with thousands of records can can do the job, uh, but uh, no more than that. Uh, I remember a fun, a fun story that I want to tell you to give you an example. Uh, during the, f- uh, the first month of the pandemic, uh, some, some folks around Europe started processing the data using Excel in order to keep track of uh, uh, how things were going with the COVID pandemic. And then sometimes the number of new daily cases dropped and they were trying to figure out why, this happened, and right. after uh, two days, they discovered that the reason was that uh, you have a strict limit on the number of uh, rows in within a table in Excel, and they reached they topped that limit, and there was they were they were losing data, they were uh, shedding data out of Excel without even knowing that. So please stop using Excel. <laughs> 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 Go, going to your question uh you can uh, the, the nice thing about uh, uh, one of the most uh, thing that i one of the thing that i like most uh, about amazon sage maker is the fact that you can run sage maker models from uh, your laptop and your ide uh i i like uh, Jupyter notebook but i don't love them uh, because they are great to experiment they are great to test things uh, but uh, since I, I, I am first and foremost a software architect uh, I lack a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, stuff related to being able to make things reproducible. So uh, to have a clear workflow. So I prefer using Visual Studio Code than Jupyter Notebook whenever it's possible. I, pres- I prefer using tools that allow me to link the code, uh, to version the code with Git and things like that. And uh, the best part about SageMaker is that you don't have to choose between Jupyter Notebook and something else because we have the possibility to use SageMaker as a remote computing platform. Uh, SageMaker is even before being SageMaker notebook it is SageMaker platform which means that directly for your local machine you can just spin up uh SageMaker jobs you can pass the data you can upload the data to S3 you can upload send to SageMaker your model to be trained and then it uses SageMaker platform to pipe the data into the model um light on switch on uh, as many cores as many instances that you need to train your data and then it switches over everything off and gives you the results so uh, using sage platforms allow you uh, to be able to train your model on a parallel architecture on a multi gpu multi instance environment without the need to have that to provision that environment on your own uh, you can mm, fire your uh, ec2 instances you can switch them off but then you have to provision them you have to manage them you have to switch them off and you are paying a lot of money even if you don't need to have them uh, to, uh, to, to use them which says basically platform you can select the kind of uh, instance that you need you can submit the job uh to the platform and the platform uh uses and uh, uh switches on the instances on your behalf that's super great and there there is a, a setting within SageMaker platform that can make that job run even locally local running is not for production of course is not, uh, not for massive training but can be something super useful if you don't want to upload the data to S3 and then wait SageMaker to uh, switch on all the instances and you just need to compute the your model on a very small subset in order to have an idea of what's happening. So it is just one setting that you can pass to the SageMaker platform and without changing one line of code you can uh, train either locally or remotely using SageMaker platform.
0: Got it. And what is, like, what is edge machine learning or, or edge ML that I'm hearing about? And, uh, you know, how can it be achieved with commodity hardware? And how does that fit in?
1: Yeah. Uh, the, I, I, the, let, me, let me give you an example uh, about what I faced during, uh, during my journey to machine learning. We started with hardware provisioning uh, because we started buying GPUs a couple of years ago, uh, say around 2010, 2012. Then uh, we understood that uh, having that GPUs provided by AWS was uh, more money efficient. Then buying a lot of hardware and we starting using virtual machines. Then SageMaker came and uh, make things a lot easier. But the problem is that when you are doing inference, sometimes you need to have a GPU at your disposal because uh, when you are doing computer vision, when you are doing natural language processing, you need to uh, make your model run on a GPU even. Uh, when you are doing inference, not only for training, also for inference. And the problem is that uh, uh, sometimes you don't have the possibility uh, to send all your data stream to the cloud. This is basically due to uh, bandwidth constraints. Uh, say I am doing a video surveillance project uh, and uh, I'm on a remote town in which I just have uh, 3G connectivity. So I cannot stream all the video uh, and also maybe multiple camera videos to the cloud in order to be analyzed and the results sent back, because I'm definitely not getting my data back uh, in real time and then uh, edge computing started a couple of years ago say around 2018 2019 to be to be a suitable alternative in which you can train your model in the cloud and then you can deploy your model at the edge so you can deploy your model on a small hardware or on a small server uh, using having a gpu and uh, uh, that's a great mix that that's a great fit for your need Recently, there has been a lot of uh, interest in this domain because uh, at last year, reInvent, uh, it was presenting some advancement. And in 2020, reInvent, AWS presented an uh, AWS panorama which is an edge deployment device. So uh, on Panorama, you can bring your model, package your model within a Docker container, and then push your model on a commodity device. And the great thing is that commodity device uses uh nvidia xavier gpu to run your model and we are using that uh, for a couple of customers in which they need basically for video surveillance in which they need uh to collect the data streams the video streams and then they need uh to uh process that data stream locally and send insights send alarms to the cloud
0: wow i love it thank you so much for coming on the show I'll put everything in the show notes as well as where uh, folks can contact you. And uh, we we can keep recording and then I'll release this the following week because I know there's a couple more things that we want to cover. So thank you so much for taking the time.
1: You're welcome.